Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We're continuing on in the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And last time we took a look at the events that happened on the island of Cyprus, and particularly the uh, miracle that Paul performed in uh, cursing Elymas the sorcerer. And as a result of that, uh, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, believed. And uh, for the first time, we see Paul and Barnabas taking the message of the gospel uh, specifically to Gentiles on the island of Cyprus. Now, today, we're going to get into their expansion into Asia Minor. And so let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, as we continue to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we pray for your Spirit's blessing on us as we study, as we listen together, that we would be encouraged by the expansion of the message of Jesus Christ throughout the Mediterranean world and our part in the continued expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in our world today. We thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read the first set of verses here, starting in verse 13. Uh, after everything had occurred on the island of Cyprus, the next events that we read about begin in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch, in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, and we will read the words of his sermon in just a moment here. So we see the message of Jesus Christ going from the island of Cyprus, and now they're traveling north to the southern end of Asia Minor. And from this point on out, remember, Paul is viewed by Luke as the leader of the group. He names Paul first and then Barnabas after this encounter with Elymas the sorcerer on the island of Cyprus. So Paul takes charge of the mission to which Christ has appointed him, the ministry to the Gentiles, from here on out. So they sail from Cyprus up to Asia Minor, and they come to Perga in Pamphylia. At this point, John Mark abandons the group and returns to Jerusalem. Now, we are not given a reason for the departure of Mark at this time, but later in Acts chapter 15, it becomes a clear point of contention between Paul and Barnabas at the outset of the second missionary journey. Remember, Barnabas there will want to take John Mark with them, but Paul resists because he has left them on the first missionary journey. So what was Mark's reason for leaving the group at this time? Well, we really don't know. It's not given here in Scripture. There are a couple of options that scholars have presented. It's possible that Mark was uh, sick 
and needed to recuperate. Uh, we're given something of the impression that uh, Paul and Barnabas have a difficult journey through the inland of Asia Minor. So perhaps uh, Mark is sick and needs uh, further attention that he can't get and uh, as a result sails back to Antioch. It's also possible that he was uh, homesick, didn't want to continue with the difficult travel, that he saw the uh, hard road before him and decided it would be better just to leave the group at this point and go back. Um, it's also uh, quite possible that there was something of a, a little bit of resentment perhaps that Paul was maybe becoming the uh, leader of the group and his uh, uh, cousin Barnabas was not uh, any longer, that he was sort of taking a back seat. Um, he may have even been slightly resentful of the ministry to the Gentiles, but all of that is really speculation. We don't have a clear reason given. Whatever the case, Mark leaves the group and the rest of the group continues up into the heart of Asia Minor to the city of Antioch in Pisidia. Now you have an Antioch in Syria that's to the north of Israel, and you also have another uh, city called Antioch in the region uh, around Pisidia in Asia Minor. We shouldn't be surprised by this because uh, the Seleucid rulers who had ruled before the time of Christ uh, to the north of Israel had called themselves the uh, Antiochies. And that's the title that they took, the name that they took. And so they named several cities in Turkey and Syria, uh, cities called Antioch. So we're in Antioch. Perhaps the best way to understand this is on the main Roman road coming from Rome, as you were heading into this city of Antioch, it would be on the way to the region of Pisidia. And that's perhaps why they called this Antioch of Pisidia or uh, Pisidian Antioch. So they go into the synagogue in this city on the Sabbath day. They sit down to listen. Now, normally in a synagogue, uh, it was kind of the, the seating was more in a uh, square, and so you would sit all around the outskirts of the square. The, the law and the prophets would be read in the synagogue, and then there would be a time for discussion among the group uh, within the synagogue, of course, with the leaders of the synagogue providing uh, key teaching moments. And so the leaders of this synagogue uh, in this Asia Minor synagogue uh, address Paul and Barnabas and ask them if they have any word of encouragement to share. Uh, I think perhaps some of them may have regretted that decision after Paul began to stand up and share uh, about Jesus as the Messiah. So what we have here in the remainder of chapter 13 is Paul's first recorded sermon in verses 17 through 41. And he is going to address both the men of Israel in the synagogue, the Jewish people, and also those who fear God, uh, those who would be proselytes to Judaism who are within the synagogue at this point. So now I'll read from verse 16 again. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. 
and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And when they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And we're going to stop reading for there uh, for today. So in this first sermon, what Paul is doing is recounting the history of Israel uh, up to the point of the time of David in verses 17 through 22. Now the entire message is going to be focused on the fulfillment of God's promises. A key focus in these verses is God's sovereignty throughout the sermon. In these verses, God sovereignly chooses Israel. God makes the people great while they were in Egypt. Then God led them out of slavery. All of this we see in verse 17. Then God put up with Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And you remember uh, the latter part of Exodus and the book of Numbers, which talk about many of the sins of the people of Israel while they're in the wilderness uh, and wandering before they enter into the promised land. Paul talks about this in verse 18. Then in verse 19, God destroyed the Canaanites and gave their land to the people of Israel. Now, the time that he allots to this is about 450 years, and this is Israel in the land of Egypt and then in the wilderness for 40 years, and then the time of the conquest he approximates to about 10 years here. God gave the people judges then until the time of Samuel in verse 20. And when Israel asked for a king, God gave them Saul of Benjamin for 40 years. So you can see the repeated phrasing that's used here. God did this. God did this for Israel. God raised up Israel. God uh, brought Israel out of Egypt. God brought them through the desert and into the promised land. God gave them judges. God gave them a king. All of these things show God's sovereign direction uh, of the people of Israel and orchestration of their history. He was providentially 
overseeing what would happen in the life of Israel. Now, we know that Saul did not obey the Lord fully, and so God had him removed, we read in verse 22. And then he raised up David, a man after his own heart, who would do all his will. Now, from talking about David, he makes a beeline from David to Jesus in verse 23. He jumps to calling him the offspring of David and revealing that God brought him to Israel as a savior in fulfillment of his promise. And I think the promise in view here is particularly 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to David a kingdom without end. He says there in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In Acts 13 and verses 24 and 25, this is attested to by John the Baptist. John the Baptist is seen as a forerunner to Jesus, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and testifying that there would be one coming after him who would be greater than he was, the, the sandals of whom he would not be worthy to untie, an expression of the lowest servitude. And then in verse 26, he calls his listeners to faith by applying salvation through Jesus to them. They are blessed to be ones who can hear this message of salvation. God has brought it now to them. Now he tells them very clearly in verses 27 through 29, the rulers of the Jews in Jerusalem fulfilled the very things they did not recognize, the utterances of the prophets by condemning Jesus to death. They unknowingly brought about the fulfillment of Scripture by having Jesus crucified. And though they found nothing in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Notice again that they're carrying out all that was written of Jesus beforehand. Their actions fulfilled the Scripture. So they crucified Jesus and took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But as we will see next time, death could not hold the Lord Jesus. Now, next time we will finish Paul's sermon in the synagogue at Antioch and see what the results of this message are as he proclaims Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and to David. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.